In your opinion, what's the most difficult job to have? Okay, just think to yourself, not, you don't have to call it out, but just think, what's your most difficult job? Hmm. Well, you may disagree with me, but I say it is being a weatherman, a meteorologist. You laugh. I mean, think how tough it is. Go to the bank every week and get a paycheck for saying, yep, it's going to rain or it's going to be sunny and it doesn't matter what you say. That's a pretty good gig. I mean, a meteorologist, okay. <laughs> uh, did you hear about the Native American Indian chief? I've shared this before, but that was pretty, pretty neat. Uh, he's on a remote reservation out in South Dakota, which is where my wife is from, and his uh, tribe asked him if he was going to be, if it was going to be a cold winter. And he didn't want to let him know <laughs> he couldn't predict the weather. So he snuck away and he called the National Weather Service. <laughs> and the forecasters say, well, we're fairly certain that it's going to be a cold winter. So the chief went back and told the others to collect a lot of firewood for the cold winter. Well, a few weeks later, he called back again and asked the forecaster. This time, the forecaster said, well, we're, we're more certain now that it's going to be a very cold winter. So the chief went back and told the tribe to collect even more firewood. Well, a few weeks later, the chief called the forecaster again and asked about an update on the forecast. It's getting close. And the forecaster said, well, we're now almost absolutely certain that this is going to be one of the coldest winters we've ever had. She's going to go, wow, how can you be so sure? The forecaster said, the Indians are collecting firewood like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think that's great. Well, our, our text for this morning is, is another weather-related tale. Uh, it's about a, Jesus and his disciples going to cross the Sea of Galilee. Now, we talk about the Sea of Galilee all the time. Well, the Sea of Galilee actually isn't really a sea. In fact, it's not all that big in the scope of things. It's rather a pretty good-sized freshwater lake. And its unique claim, among many others, I guess I should say, is it sits five or 600 feet below sea level, making it the lowest lake in the world. It's about 14 miles long, about 7 miles wide. It's kind of shaped like a harp and covers 64 square miles of surface area. Well, to give you some perspective, Lake Minnetonka, 22.7 square miles of surface area. And the largest lake inside of Minnesota, we can take a quiz on that, is Red Lake in northern Minnesota. It covers 440 square miles of surface area. So Lake Galley isn't all that big, but it's pretty, isn't it? That's a nice picture of it, and that's pretty much what it looks like. Well, on any given night 2,000 years ago, and even today, but 2,000 years ago, it should have taken the disciples of Jesus about three hours to sail or row across Lake Galilee from one side to the other. So our text tells us Jesus and disciples, they get in the boat and they start out on a calm lake. However, as one of the great TV classic shows reminds us, in the song from the 1970s hit series Gilligan's Island, they started out for a three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed, if not for the courage of the fearless. In this case, Lord, the disciples would be lost. <laughs> a little homage to the old TV series, Gideon's, Gideon's Island. 
Well, there's a picture I, I know I've shared over the years because it's, it's one of my favorites. It's by the Dutch master Rembrandt van Rijn. And it depicts this, this stormy episode in Jesus' ministry that we're talking about. It's, not, it's always a little bit dark, I know. But I think it's so significant, especially with what we're talking about. You kind of take a look at this thing. We're talking about the painting. It's entitled The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. That's its title. It was painted in 1632, and it was displayed for many years in an art museum in Boston until it was stolen in 1990. Well, its whereabouts are still unknown. So if you see it in someone's basement or vacation home this summer, call the FBI because I think there may still be a $5 million reward for information leading to its recovery. Hmm. But let's focus on this picture itself. It's a tiny boat, it's tossed and turned by angry wind and wave, right? There are 13 disciples. And you're thinking, aren't there only 12? Yeah, that's true. But there's 13 in the painting. What's going on? Well, Rembrandt actually painted himself into the picture. He's the little guy in the blue outfit down at the bottom, holding on to a rope, looking right at you, staring at the viewer. You see him down there? Okay, that's Rembrandt. And just in front of him is another disciple, a guy in a red robe. I don't know if you see him. He's in a familiar position for many folks on rough water. He's leaning over the side, and I don't think he's counting the fish. Apparently seasick. Well, the message I think that Rembrandt, among many, that he was trying to convey was that there were some disciples, and you look at this and you see the ones in the front of the boat. Where, do, where is their attention drawn? What are they looking at? Who's fighting against the storm? Their focus was on, where are they looking? They're doing the riggings, they're looking at the water, they're trying to tie things down. They're looking out at the storm. Their focus was on the storm. But in the same picture, Rembrandt has others of the disciples gathered around Jesus. Do you see Jesus there in the back? You can just see his face. He's kind of sitting there with his arm over the gunnels, just kind of sitting there. They're gathered around him. These are the guys in the back of the boat. So their focus isn't on the storm. Who's it on? It's on the Savior. And what I think is so great about this painting is it begs the question, and this is for you and me today, probably one of the main takeaways for all of us today. When you face the storms of life, and you do, do you fearfully focus on the storm, or do you faithfully focus on the Savior? Now, our graduates this morning are at that point in life. They're finishing up a lot of things. They're very familiar. School is a, a very familiar thing. They're leaving friends. They're going off to new places. Uh, we've got some international uh, endeavors. You'll hear about that in a little bit, too. But my encouragement to all of you graduates this day, it applies to all of us, is keep your focus not on the storms, but on the Savior. So that's probably the primary takeaway if you remember nothing else today. Well, I'm going to share with you five different takeaways on how you can successfully cope with the storms of your life. First takeaway, you can, you can be close to Jesus and still encounter storms. This is an awareness thing. You know, sometimes people who know and love the Lord think that they should be exempt from stormy experiences of life. In fact, some Christians make the mistake of thinking just because they have a, a, the Lord in their life that they're going to be immune from all troubles and tribulations and problems. 
What do you think? Not the way it works, is it? I mean, even though Jesus was in the boat in the picture, the storm still struck. And likewise, even if Jesus is in your life, as I hope he is, even though you can be absolutely positive your final destination is in heaven, because it is, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for those who believe, it doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from troubles during life here and now. Now, I don't like that, and I suspect you don't either, but that's the way it is. <laughs> it's kind of like a story about the South Dakota rancher. He's out behind, chased by an angry bull. Why he was doing so, I don't know, but there it is. This bull is chasing him back and forth in the field. And he sees this hole in the ground. So he jumps into it, and the bull runs by. Whew. But immediately the guy jumps out. And the bull runs back at him again, and the fellow jumped back into the hole. And th this was repeated several cycles. Finally, someone who's watching this from the fence is looking at this and said, Man, why don't you just stay down in that hole? And the rancher shouts back, There's a rattlesnake in there. <laughs> I love that. Kind of smile at that scene being depicted, but you know it's not that far-fetched from force of a story. In fact, it's not even original. Over 2,700 years ago, the Old Testament prophet Amos, he wrote something very similar in chapter 5 of his book. He said this, Sometimes a man runs from a lion only to meet a bear. When he finally gets home, he leans on his wall, and there's a snake. So the point is, it's not that unusual if we go through difficulties in life. Life can be tough, and Christians aren't immune. Takeaway number one. Well, Peter got it right when he wrote his first letter to the hassled and hurting and fearful Christians of his day. Here's what he told them, and, and you can be sure he's talking to you and me today as well. Peter wrote, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. If you suffer, and here's a punchline, as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Say, so if you bring on things by doing stupid stuff, don't be surprised. But if you're doing it as a Christian, there's a bit of a badge of honor that goes with it. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear his name. Here's an important thought for you to cling to today, my friends. Just because you find yourself in a storm doesn't mean God has abandoned you or doesn't love you or is punishing you. That's not the case. Instead, focus on his promise to you. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus told his disciples and you and me, Lo, I am with you. How long? Always. To the very end of the age. That's a promise. Takeaway number two. Jesus may permit storms to test your faith. Okay, we can say, don't let this happen, Lord. But he says, I'm going to. So when the disciples woke up, or woke Jesus up, who was sleeping in the back of the boat, he asked them only two questions. Do you remember what they were from the reading this morning? He said, why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? Well, St. Peter in his first letter to the early Christians understood this fact. He said this, he said, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. 
Takeaway three. Storms can refocus our need for Jesus. Reinforce that need that we have. How are we going to make it through this stuff? Culture is pretty tough. Coming off of COVID, coming off of economic turmoil, coming off of family and emotional issues, it's tough. But in all of those things, it reinforces our need for Jesus. Now, you remember that several of the disciples of Jesus, they were professional fishermen. And I suspect they tried to do everything humanly possible to battle the storm. I mean, that's what they did for a living. They know what to do. They knew that lake. So maybe they're working trimming the sails and pointing the boat into the wind. They started rowing, perhaps, maybe having to bail water. But it soon became apparent that their resources weren't enough. What'd they do? When they finally exhausted their human resources, they called out to Jesus. That was a smart decision. It's the right thing to do. So obviously for us, I hope you get the point, sometimes we have fears of imminent danger or possible doom, checking into a new dormitory, a new school, a new uh, group of people that we don't know. That's, that's pretty intimidating. A new job, a new relationship. And we kind of almost shake in our boots. Please remember God's reassuring invitation to you. He says to us, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. God cares for you no matter what. Well, St. Paul, he understood this also. I mean, he had enough issues of his own in his life. But in talking about some of his personal trials, he wrote this. He said, we're under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Boy, he's describing some of our situations, isn't he? So that we, uh, we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Things were pretty bad, wasn't it? But this happened, why? That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Takeaway number four. Jesus will do one of two things. He will either calm your storm or he'll calm you. Now, I love the fact that Jesus was asleep during the storm. If it was me, I'd be one of those guys up in the front of the boat trying to do everything I could. But Jesus, he's, he's asleep during the storm. And I think that, that teaches me several things. First, that Jesus was a man who experienced fatigue. He was pooped. When he'd been doing all this teaching and being with the people and feeding 5,000, all these different things, and he was tired. But it also shows us he possessed a strong sense of tranquility. He could sleep through the storm. I don't know, some of you folks that have been around a little bit may remember the radio personality of years ago, Paul Harvey. I mean, he was one of my favorites. I mean, on, he was on every day on the local radio station. So for 26 years back in Wisconsin, I'd have him on uh, listening to him because he reported the news like everybody else, but there was always a little different twist to it, and I appreciated that, a little more positive twist. And then he would end his segment with what he called the rest of the story segment. And one that really stuck with me over the years, he's talking about a chicken farmer, Tennessee, suspected a fox was raiding his hen house at night. Silly fox. And this farmer was losing eggs and hens. So one night, this farmer put his loaded shotgun by his bed, stayed awake, 
And then he heard a ruckus from the hen house. So he slipped out into the night wearing nothing but his nightshirt. And Paul Harvey says, as he approached the dark hen house, fear set in. And he began to wonder, what if the fox attacks me? What if it's not a fox, but a bobcat or a cougar? And as this farmer, trembling a bit in his nightshirt, stood in the doorway to the hen house, these thoughts were rolling around, swirling in his mind. And it was at that precise moment that his old faithful hound dog, Blue, crept up behind him and cold-nosed him under his nightshirt. Whoa! Kablam! <laughs> the gun went off. Nine hens lost their lives that night. Well, why I remember that is, I think, is Paul Harvey's conclusion was classic. He said it wasn't the shotgun that killed them, it was fear. Jesus looks at us and the disciples and said, why are you afraid? And then notice what Jesus did. He addressed the cause of their fear. He spoke to the wind and spoke to the waves and said, hush, be still. The kind of words that a loving mother would speak to a crying child. Hush, settle down, settle down. And what happened when Jesus spoke to Mother Nature? The Bible says the storm went completely calm. The word that's used there for completely is mega. Mega. It was a big mega calm. Now, I'm not sure if I've ever experienced a mega calm in my life. But that's exactly what Jesus provided for the fearful disciples that night. I know some of you have been asking God to take away your particular storm for a long time, haven't you? And, well, continue to ask. That's okay. He always says, ask without ceasing, uh, and, and he's listening. How's it gone for you? Hmm. Some okay, some not so good, some we're still waiting. The fact is, God may never do what you're asking this side of heaven. Now, I don't personally like that. I would just as soon him do whatever I ask when I ask, because obviously I know better than God. Oh, wait a minute. No, I don't. No. You see, God knows what he's doing. And he always, always has my best interest at heart. And that's important to remember. And he may have something better in store for me in the long run. Finally, takeaway number five. Jesus is in your boat no matter what. Is that a great picture? In the midst of the storm, the disciples had forgotten what Jesus had told them at the beginning of the trip. Remember what he said? He says, let's get in the boat and go over to the other side. No big deal, we say. Well, think about what the implication of that is. You see, once the creator of the universe makes up his mind that he's going to the other side of the lake, Nothing in heaven or on earth that's going to stop him would not sink that boat. Strongest hurricane in history couldn't sink it. All of Caesar's armies and navies couldn't sink it. The devil himself couldn't sink it. Those folks that night were going to arrive on the other side because Jesus had spoken that word. And Jesus, my friends, has promised you and me as well. We'll make it through every storm. Maybe bumped and bruised, 
but we'll make it. I love the way the Bible translator Eugene Peterson paraphrased. This is a paraphrase of Isaiah 43. Here's how he phrases it from Isaiah 43. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you'll not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God or a personal God. I paid a huge price for you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. So, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I love the way he paraphrased that. And one of the greatest, we're still on the water theme, one of the greatest maritime disasters of history was what? The sinking of the Titanic. April 15th, 1912. Well, we know from history, however, that it wasn't a storm that sank her, was it? What was it? An iceberg. It was supposed to be this unsinkable ship, this monster that could withstand anything. But what is she known for? Sinking. We know on the Sunday after the report of the sinking of the Titanic, a pastor, his name was Andrew Smith, uh, he chose, what do I say to the congregation? What do we, I mean, this is, this is horrible. What do I say? Well, he chose to preach on this text today from Mark 4, 35 to 41. And Pastor Smith made an amazing statement to a grieving congregation. He said this, There's only one vessel in all of history that was truly unsinkable. The little boat occupied by the sleeping Savior. And then he added, and the only hearts that can weather the storms are the hearts with Jesus inside. So the lesson for us, we leave here this morning, pretty simple, and yet I think quite profound. Jesus never promised us a smooth ride in life, but he has guaranteed us a definite destination. And we say thanks be to God. Amen.